We're continuing this morning in our new teaching series called Rooted, uh, in which we are exploring our core values as a church and really discovering how these values act as roots for us. And not just roots, because they've been our values since we were founded as a church 13 years ago, so they're roots in that way, but also how these practices and these core values of our faith and how we live that faith out actually allow us to remain rooted and grounded in the love of Christ together. In a time and place where it might feel easy to be sort of tossed about by the winds of change and fear and turmoil and violence in our world, we need these roots, these practices of our faith that can grow down deep and sustain our spiritual growth. Our spiritual growth as a community, as individuals, so that we might develop fruit for the kingdom of God, the only kind of fruit that will last. So last week, we looked at our first value, Reveal, how we are helping people see Jesus through the hospitality of our gathering for worship, talking about how formative and powerful that worship experience is as we realize sort of our, uh, the, not just the glory and majesty of God, but then realize our deep need for God's grace, and we realize that often in the presence of worship. And then this week, we're going to talk about that second value, Resurrect. That is learning to live the way of Jesus. And the scripture passage I've chosen to kind of start us off this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Also sometimes referred to as the story of the doubting Thomas. You might have heard it before. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this encounter with Thomas is one of those passages often taught or preached on during the Easter season. That is, after Easter Sunday, there's 50 days where we still celebrate Easter up until Pentecost, the end of that 50-day period. For us, that will be May 28th this year, is Pentecost Sunday. And it's often in the liturgical calendar that, that many people will preach and teach through. There's a series of these resurrection encounters where you celebrate still for the 50 days of Easter the resurrection of Christ and how Christ shows up and changes lives. I taught on one on Easter Sunday of Mary going to the tomb. It's sort of the first resurrection encounter often taught on Easter, where she goes to the tomb and finds that it's empty, and she says the same testimony, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Jesus appears then too in, uh, uh, to the disciples uh, when they're kind of locked up in the room for fear, it says. They were f- uh, fearful of what was going to happen next. Uh, Jesus appears to them then. But as our, it noted in this passage, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when that happened. Uh, He shows up on the road to Emmaus when the disciples are confused 
and don't understand are grief-stricken. He shows up to Peter on the shore and has breakfast with the disciples on the shoreline. And that's when God kind of, Jesus kind of calls Peter uh, and says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. So many of these encounters, we see Jesus show up in times of fear or in grief or in shame for Peter who had denied Jesus just a few days prior. And Jesus transforms what they are experiencing in that moment from fear and grief to shame into joy and power and mission. Peter's given a new mission and a new purpose when he says, go and feed my sheep. So this encounter with Thomas is often kind of included in one of these resurrection encounters, famously referred to as the Doubting Thomas. But I think there's something that he can teach us this morning as it relates to our second value, something that he can help us understand of what it means to learn to live like Jesus and this sort of faith development and growth over time that we talk about as this journey of discipleship, growth over time. Now, this is not the first time we have met Thomas in the Gospel of John. He shows up in John chapter 11. After Jesus and the disciples hear of the death of Lazarus, Jesus says to them, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, because he's about to go and bring him back to life. And Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This sort of boldly saying to the other disciples, let us go with Jesus. We want to see what he is talking about. We want to know and understand what he is really up to. And then he pops up again, Thomas does, in John chapter 14, when Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to leave them and go and prepare a place for them. It is Thomas who asks, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? It's Thomas who, when he doesn't understand what Jesus was saying, was the one brave enough to ask a question, to ask. I will never forget the teacher who taught me to never stop asking questions. In middle school math class, of all things, when you're kind of really self-conscious about what you don't know. And she'd ask, does does anybody have any questions? And we'd all just sit there silently, no one understanding a thing. And she said, you know, if you don't ask, you'll never know. How many times do we not ask questions because we think we're supposed to already know the answer? We're supposed to have it together. We're afraid. We are ashamed. We're sold this sort of narrative that faith means being certain, being correct, knowing all the answers to all the Bible trivia games I give you. (laughs) That it's certitude. That it's right doctrine. It's a slippery slope to self-righteousness, if you ask me. (laughs) Rooted and grounded in love. Not certitude, not right doctrine, not knowing that you are on the right side of things. It's love, the love of Jesus. So Thomas shows us that we must never stop asking questions, never stop seeking, never stop learning. We must never be afraid or ashamed to ask. I believe our faith, our God, is big enough to handle our deepest doubts, our deepest questions, musings, wonderments, wrestling with the mystery of God. In fact, I think actually leads us to deeper engagement and deeper study, which hopefully leads to deeper experiences with God. We might be tempted to think then that doubt is somehow opposite of faith, 
That, as I said, faith must be certitude and, and being correct in your right thought and doctrine. But I believe, actually, doubt and faith can go hand in hand and can lead us then into deeper understandings, lead us deeper into the mystery and presence of God. You know, the word used in Greek here for doubt is actually called, it's actually unbelieving. The opposite then, well, not opposite, but the related then of believing or faith Many scholars have noted that maybe a better translation of Jesus' words, do not doubt but believe, which is another translation. Do not be unbelieving is the one I used, but believe. Do not doubt. That would actually be a better translation is do not be unbelieving but believe. I think we get tripped up when we focus only on the doubt and skepticism present here. We sort of name it the doubting Thomas. That's really about the grounds in which we might come to believe in Jesus Christ. Believing. Because Thomas has a real encounter with Jesus right in front of him. That's the grounds in which we come to faith and come to believe when we have those real life encounters with Jesus who shows up in our moments of doubt and worry and fear and says, peace be with you. Jesus does not, reasons why I think we might not need to focus on the doubting aspect is because Jesus does not shame Thomas here for asking a question. He does not even shame Thomas for stating what he needs to understand. He wants to see the Lord just like the other disciples have. He wasn't with them in that room. He wasn't with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. They have said, we have seen the Lord. He only desires the same thing. Thomas doesn't need these cold, hard-proof facts here. He just needs a real personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. That's the grounds for believing. His words, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark, I will not believe. That may feel like this sort of demand for proof from Thomas, But rather, I feel like it it wasn't that he touched Jesus and believed, but that he saw Jesus. That Thomas' confession of faith actually comes not because he touched Jesus and believed, but because Jesus just showed up and stood in his midst and offered Thomas the opportunity to understand. He says, see, here I am. And Thomas responds to this offer, to Jesus' outstretched hands before him. Jesus willing to, to give him what he needs out of extreme care and concern for his friend and disciple Thomas. And I think it's in that moment, overwhelmed by his presence and the love and grace of Christ, Thomas proclaims one of the highest confessions of faith we have recorded in Scripture. He says, my Lord and my God. It doesn't say, and then he touched him and believed because he could prove that it was true, it said that he cried out, my Lord and my God. Very much related to our first value of reveal, helping people see Jesus. Christ was revealed to Thomas, and he had that aha moment, and he has this confession, my Lord and my God, acknowledging that he has seen the fullness of the glory of God now revealed here in Christ. I think this story is less about Thomas's doubt and more about Jesus's willingness to show up in those moments for us still today, to give us exactly what we need to believe, a real-life, personal, transformative encounter. 
I love how scholar Martin Copenhaver puts it. We did not see or touch. We were not there. We heard. Someone told us the story in a way that invited us to say yes. We heard someone say something, perhaps a small something that spoke to us, as if calling our name from depth to depth. There was a sermon, a passage, a prayer. We heard. We heard the story of the gospel in such a way that Jesus showed up for us in a very real and personal way. From scriptures that are living and breathing and active, from a pastor, from a friend, from a song, maybe through a testimony you heard, Jesus Christ showed up for us. We experience Christ sometimes through the love and witness of somebody else. And in hearing, we could understand and we could uh, experience and understand and therefore come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. See, I think Thomas reminds us that this way that we can kind of live in now to our second value of resurrect, learning to live the way of Jesus, is reminding us that we must continue to tell the story, the gospel story of Jesus, in such a way that it invites others to believe, in such a way that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can show up in real and personal ways. And Thomas reminds us, gives us the permission that on this lifelong journey of faith, learning looks like asking questions. Learning looks like not being afraid to say, I don't understand or I don't know. This is a mystery. Learning and also this lifelong journey of faith looks like saying, Jesus, I need to see you too. I need you to show up for me right now in this moment of grief or fear or doubt or unbelief. So our second value, resurrect. This is something that's core to who we are that we've continued to do. Learning to live the way of Jesus. And we quote the same from Acts chapter 17, verses 28, from this passage that I read last week, but we sort of highlight verse 28 with this value. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This understanding that over time on this journey of faith with Jesus, this lifelong process of growth into holiness that we talk about, our discipleship journey in him, we live and move and have our being. Learning to live the same way as Jesus. As I shared last week and and looking back through these values since the beginning of Revolution Church 13 years ago, in our founding documents, it's still posted on our website, you can see this explanation for this value of resurrect. Jesus came to teach people how to have a new kind of life, God's life, resurrection life, a life filled with depth, meaning, and purpose now and in life that never ends later on. The message of Jesus is revolutionary. It isn't about adding another layer to our lives. It's about transforming the whole person and the way life is lived. It's about asking if one needs all the layers to begin with or at least changing the way the layers affect one's life. It's not just a piece of who you are, but the core. The message of Jesus is the aha moment in life that awakens, stirs, redistributes, and transforms who we are and the way we live. It's that life-transforming moment. When after Jesus is revealed to us, that light bulb clicks off, aha, I need grace, I need change, I need the power of God at work in my life. 
We cannot will this. We cannot change it on our own. We cannot save ourselves, right? But we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to transform us. To each day make us look a little bit more like Jesus and his love. It continues, the goal of our resurrect purpose at Revolution Church is to teach the life-giving message of Jesus in a revolutionary and life-changing kind of way. It's like the aha moment when you learned how to fix something or when you figured out how a system worked. Or maybe it's like the aha moment when after searching for something that was lost, that which was lost appeared before your very eyes. I would love for that to happen. I'm so bad at finding things. Some of you know that. After searching for something, I would love for things just to appear before my very eyes. The message of Jesus is all about these kind of moments of revolutionary love and hope. It's the life-giving and life-changing message that changes people and the world. We believe that we're living out this value through teaching. This is part of our mission statement as well. That we are telling this story, that we are teaching this story, that we are offering opportunities to encounter and be transformed by this story so that we can all experience the resurrected life. So we can all experience that life in the kingdom together. So you might ask, what does, what does our discipleship ministry look like at Revolution Church? What does this teaching and, and small groups and, and what does this look like? How are we actually living this out? This intentional discipleship model where we are learning to live the way of Jesus. These are in our founding documents as well. We are doing this by being a teaching church in worship small groups, and through our leadership development by offering renovation house groups. That's our small group ministry where people meet in different homes to study and grow all over Louisville. We offer Revolution Kids and Impact Student Ministries, our youth, that offer age-appropriate teaching so that kids and youth may know God's revolutionary love and also that our families have the tools they need for the faith development to continue at home. It also looks like Revolution Little Peeps, that's for ages six months to five years before kindergarten, that share and show the revolutionary love of God with our youngest members. I'd also say that we also see this lived out through our ministries like Celebrate Recovery. Although we'll talk more about that next week with sort of our release value, Micah will tell you that is discipleship in a nutshell, experiencing the recovery and freedom of Christ through Celebrate Recovery, we are telling the story of Jesus and the power we need to change, to make different choices. We have our, our village group as well. That's a picture from our fall retreat. It's a little blurry up there. Our, our village kind of combines this reveal and resurrect, where we're oper offering opportunities for fellowship among our women in this church. And through that, we can grow together and learn from each other and go on retreats together and do book studies together and serve together. Similarly to our men's ministry, it's kind of a combination of reveal and resurrect. They have lots of fellowship dinners, men's night out, guys' night out. I was like, that wasn't right. Guys' night out. In one season, we had a men's Bible study looking for opportunities to grow and get to know one another even better. This is our value, to learn and to live like Jesus. And we believe that this is best done in the context of community, 
for learning and questioning and growing and holding one another accountable. Simply stated, to do life together so we can begin to look more like Jesus. Would you mind to turn this down just a little bit? Is that, am I the only one hearing that? No. I'm like, thank you. Oh, okay. You know, ever since Jamel taught, it hasn't fit correctly. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to say it was Jamel's fault <laughs> since he's not here. <laughs> He might be watching. Hey, bud, glad you're here. (laughs) So as I kind of round this out, I'm going to end with this of just asking, so how are we doing? How are we doing with living out this value of learning to live the way of Jesus? Well, most of you know that at the end of last year, our charge charge conference voted to put a, a one board model together for our administrative team. And at the beginning of this year, we had a retreat day in which we looked at each of these values and our mission and our vision, and we asked, how are we doing? And almost almost across the board, every leader present there said, we want to strengthen these ministries in our church. That yes, they are a value for us, but over the last couple of years with the changes we have experienced, It's like inside my mouth. Okay. With the changes we have experienced, we want to strengthen this value. We agreed that this value, learning to live the way of Jesus, an intentional discipleship model, it is vital. We call our house group ministries the lifeblood of our church because it's in that setting where you're connected with a small group of people, where you're studying scripture together, you're praying together, you're serving together that that's the next step of faith where we can grow deep roots. This value is crucial to us learning to live and to love like Jesus. And so we want to grow this root down deep to sustain the growth that we are experiencing now. So over the past, what, six to seven months, I've been offering more pastor-led book studies and Bible studies. And I've told you I'm going to continue doing that. And I still will after the flood. We're still going to do that. (laughs) I have a list that we're working through. And you'll hear more about that. But another way that I'd love to see us strengthen this is by starting new house groups. Strengthening the house groups that we already have. That's probably one of the ministries of our church that has seen some of the most changes over the last couple of years. Through membership shifts, uh, some groups no longer meeting, some new groups starting, some of our groups that have continued, but maybe they're not studying like they once were. Maybe they're not meeting as consistently as they once were. And maybe some of you here say, well, I was in a house group five years ago, but I haven't really found another one since. Or maybe you don't even know who the house groups are anymore, and that's okay. We have an opportunity in a new season and a new day to start some new house groups for intentional disciple-making and resurrect, to learn to live the way of Jesus. But here's the thing, I need to know from you if you want to be a part of one, or especially if you feel like you're called to lead a new one, to be a leader. Because I would love to start five new ones, but I can't lead them all. So that's a challenge to you. Pray about it. Are you feeling the stirring and the need and the desire? I need to get back plugged into a house group. Email me. Reach out. The second thing is 
how are we doing? We know that we've seen two years ago many staff changes through all of the changes that we've been through. And since then, we've had to rely on volunteers to lead our children's ministry. And while I am so incredibly grateful for the many of you who stepped up and who taught and who planned and who put together VBS days, Micah Vandegrift, I am so grateful, right, for people filling in and for stepping outside of their comfort zones or their job descriptions to make sure that this continues to happen. We are at a place now and growing in such a way that we desire more leadership and organization to best serve and disciple our kids. And so when the one board met last week, as we followed up to this new year and this new energy, we've decided that we want to announce a new job posting and to hire a director of children's ministry, part-time, that would oversee our little peeps and revolution kids, someone who is passionate about working with our youngest members, who is creative and fun and excited about working with our awesome young families here, because we have some awesome families. And we believe that our kids deserve this kind of intentionality so that we can equip them to learn to live the way of Jesus. So we're posting it today. This is it. And you can reach out to me or email info at revolutionky.org for more information, or you can send your resume there. We would love to do this very soon so that in, over the summer we can have some activities and events, but also especially to get this in place for the new school year in the fall. Intentional discipleship for our youngest ones in the new school year. You may be asking me, Rachel, how is this possible? Friends, God is at work. I can see it. Every time I look at you, God is at work, and I'm excited for what's in store. Maybe that's a why is this possible, because God is, work, because God is at work. How is this possible? Because the whole first quarter of this new year, we have exceeded our budgeted income each month. At a time of year when it's usually the lowest, right? Right after the holidays, at a time of year when it's the lowest. And this is even the first quarter before the flood. <laughs> before the flood. A time of year when giving is usually at an all-time low. We have seen some of our highest giving in the past few years to the point where we are operating, we are $13,000 in the green surplus for the first four months of this new year. So for, thank you. Thank you for your generous giving. Thank you for, for being serious about living this mission together of joining Jesus in the revolution of transforming lives through teaching, resurrect, and service, release. We'll hear more about that next week. But also, let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. Because the more, as we continue on this path, we'll be able to hire staff to sustain our growth. We'll be able to pay our staff equitably, but also we'll be able to start new things and, and increase some of our mission partnerships. We've been mission partners for Go for years and have never increased our gift, our gift to that ministry or to our missionaries. There are so many opportunities where we could increase our outreach and our release and our witness if we can continue sort of to live out these values and offer all that we have, including our financial gifts, for the glory of God and the kingdom. So I'm really excited, and I hope you are too. I hope you are too. And be praying for this person in this position. If it's you or if you know someone outside of this church who might be interested, pass it on. We're going to be posting it on the website and sending it out in the email this week. Pass it on. Spread the word. Um, we're very excited, and I hope you guys are as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are. 
and for the ways that you continue to be at work in our lives and in our church and our world. God, we stand sort of in awe and amazed with all that we've been through, with all that we've seen in the past few months, that you continue to show up and empower us and lead us and guide us, that you continue to call us into deeper relationship with you, to learn, to ask, to grow, to question, so that we can grow roots down deep, rooted and grounded in your love and in your love alone. For that's the only way that we will produce fruit that will honor and glorify you, not for our own glory, but for yours. So God, I ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit upon us, to give us the courage that we need to offer all that we have for the furtherance of this, your kingdom here on earth. And would you lead and guide us every step of the way for what you have in store? And we are so excited and so grateful for what that will be. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Continue to be at work in our midst. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.